What's going on, Frantifa? Just a little bit of a disclaimer before you listen to this episode. Robert Evans was having some trouble with his Wi-Fi and his audio cuts in and out just a little bit, but not to the point where you can't imagine everything that he says. And if you can't, just imagine that he said boobies. Okay. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Bituation Room Podcast live stream once again on a Sunday evening. I really hope you don't have plans and that this is the plan. Uh, if you're listening in the future, oh my god, what do you have like friends or whatever? The fuck? Um, thank you so much for being here. Hey, hit that like button, subscribe, share the stream right now. Uh, tell all your peoples on the internet. Uh, what up Twitch? How you doing? We've got such a good show. We're digging into a lot with my two wonderful guests. Uh, the host of behind the bastards pod, Robert Evans is here. Also an investigative journalist. We're going to talk to him all about his intense reporting in Portland over the last year, as well as his podcasts and, uh, the origin of policing. Mm, that's always a fun one on a Sunday. Um, gather the children around. Uh, we also have uh, Christina Catherine Martinez, comedian, wonderful soul and spirit here in the flesh or virtually. You know how it works. Um, so happy to have these guests. So happy to have you here. Um, again, it's been a year of this podcast uh, live streamed. It's been around longer, but the live stream has been around a year and I am so grateful to you all. Um, I'm feeling good. I I thought I was going to go slow with the whole socializing thing. And as soon as I could see somebody that I missed, I just straight up kissed them on the cheek. I was like, I don't, this is not consensual, but you're getting a kiss because I'm vaccinated and so are you. And this is what it is right now, guys. This is it's how desperate I am for human contact other than the man that lives in my house and my cat. Um, no, uh, I, I'm super happy to have you guys here. Happy that you're a patron, patreon.com slash bituation room. You are supporting this show with your dollars. That could be $2. That could be 20 bucks. 10 bucks gets you a shout out. Um, thank you so much for the patrons. You get access to all of our bonus episodes early. We did a whole breakdown of what's going on in Israel, Palestine with Nora Erekat, uh, last week. It was a very long discussion that involved puppets. Um, so, you know, very highbrow when it comes to the Middle East. And uh, so definitely listen to that or watch that at back if you haven't. If you do listen as a podcast, give this podcast five stars. And remember, we stream every Sunday live, 5, 8 Eastern. So if you want to be here live, youtube.com slash Frannyfio or twitch.tv slash Frannyfio. That's where you can be, baby. Uh, and this week, it is time to thank our patrons and big tippers. Uh, tippers, tbr-live on Venmo, tbr-live on Cash App. Time to thank them with a fart song. Yeah, 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 uh, uh, uh. Thank you to Little Mac back at it for the patrons Catherine M, Rachel K, Butter Pop, Tart Dragon, John S, Michael D. Thank you for upping your pledge, getting this shout out. To the big tippers, Gautam J, Anna Marie, Joseph L, Christopher C, and Eric. 
Oh. <laughs> George Witch subs! LC Blue 1981, Anterum, Zombie Skincare, Willie Gus, Lazy Ollie subscribed with Amazon Prime, uh, Kin of Wolf, Rosalba 14, and Calico Ammo. Thank you guys so much. You can become a Twitch subscriber. Use your Prime bucks or whatever, your mom's Prime account. Use your parents' Amazon Prime account to subscribe to the Bituation Room. Thank you. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for that amazing song, as always. And now, let's get into it. Here we go. What are you bitching about today? Everybody, what are you bitching about? Mm, give me all that um, good tea, all the all the stuff that you want to, you know, yell into the internet about. You know, don't do it on Twitter. Do it here on the Bituation Room. This is a safe space for you to be as catty and ridiculous as possible. Um, I am bitching about... Um, an AP journalist who was fired over her previous um, activism around Israel-Palestine. As I think many of us know, but a lot of folks, if you're sort of newer to this issue, um, there is a very well-known sort of um, conservative um, machinery that is both inside the U.S. right as well as the Israeli right um, that uh, likes to take down journalists and professors and pretty much anyone, actors, models apparently now, um, uh, uh, pop stars uh, like Dua Lipa, uh, for speaking out around uh, human rights in Palestine. And so that uh, continues um, when it comes to journalists. It happened to Mark Lamont Hill and uh, CNN fired him a couple of years ago for his remarks around Palestine. Uh, and this week, that machinery came for a young journalist named Emily Wilder, a Jewish American journalist who was fired by the AP for being a student activist around Palestine. Um, remember, the AP was bombed in Gaza last week. Okay, this is that AP. They like took that and were like, mm, I guess we do need to fire this young Jewish journalist. Okay, we get it. We get it, BB. You got us. Um, Just the most incredible amount of cowardice, in my opinion. And so um, I wanted to put up a statement that she wrote. And honestly, this statement I thought was just so well crafted and just really, really, really thoughtful and really gets to the heart of it. What, what is wrong with a lot of our uh, media, especially here in the United States when it comes to supposed objectivity. Um, this is Emily Wilder stating, I started the Associated Press as a news associate, a junior level position on May 3rd, following 10 months of reporting for the Arizona Republic. In Arizona, I covered breaking news, criminal justice, and Black Lives Matter protests. I built a respected reputation in the newsroom and in the communities I covered and was proud to land a job at the AP you know, given her background and creded credentials. Last Monday, the Stanford College Republicans launched a smear campaign against me, attempting to expose my already public history of activism for, for Palestinian human rights at Stanford University. I was transparent with my editors and they reassured me I would not face punishment for my previous activism. I was told my editors were only hoping to support me as I received an onslaught of sexist, anti-Semitic, racist, and violent comments and messages. Less than 48 hours later, the AP fired me. The reason given was my supposed, supposed violations of the AP's social media policy sometime between my first day and Wednesday. Um, in that interim, powerful conservatives like Senator Tom Cotton, Ben Shapiro, and Robert Spencer repeatedly lambasted me online. When I asked my managers which exact tweets were in violation of policy or how, they refused to tell me. In the end, rather than take whatever misstep I made as a teaching opportunity, as in as is the point of the news associate program, it appears they took it as an opportunity to make me a scapegoat. 
She continues, this is heartbreaking as a young journalist, so hungry to learn from the fearless investigative reporting of AP journalists and to do this reporting myself. It's terrifying as a young woman who was hung out to dry when I needed support from my institution most. And it's enraging as a Jewish person who grew up in a Jewish community, attended Orthodox schooling and devoted my college years to studying Palestine and Israel that I could be defamed as an anti-Semitic and thrown under the bus in the process. I am one victim to the asymmetrical enforcement of rules and objectivity around objectivity and social media that has censored so many journalists, particularly Palestinian journalists and other journalists of color before me. The compassion that drove my activism is part of what led me to be a reporter committed to just critical fact-based coverage of undertold stories. Now, after being fired less than a week after my job, I have to ask what kind of message it sends to young people who are hoping to channel righteous indignation or passion for justice into impactful storytelling. What future does it promise to aspiring reporters that an institution like the AP would sacrifice those with the least power to the cruel tolling, trolling of a group of anonymous bullies. What does it mean for this industry that even sharing the painful experiences of Palestinians or interrogating the language we use to describe them can be seen as irredeemably biased? While the last few days have been overwhelming, I will not be intimidated into silence. I will be back soon. So that was a lot, but I think it was really important to read it all um, because of the way that she handled this. It's like very graceful, very honest and honest. And I think that it's the year 2021. Uh, it is very much a mask off project when it comes to Israel's ultimate goal with the Palestinian people. There is no desire for a two state solution. There's no desire for a one state solution. There's a desire for Bantu stands and militarized enclaves. That is it. And so for a reporter to honestly talk about that, even in her past, and still be fired for it is absolutely ridiculous. And I just feel like we're pe we're beyond this moment. And I say this as someone who hopes to be employed one day again in the media. But of course, I've said a lot about Israel-Palestine, even just in the last week, which to be totally honest with you, and this is the effed up thing, yo, if I had been working at MSNBC now, I would like to think I'd say the same stuff, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd be scared as shit to say some and speak out, right? And that's this is the censorship and the self-policing when it comes to this issue that is completely out of touch with reality. Um, and if I had said something and if I had had a job, look, what I'm saying is if and when I'm a big deal, um, no. <laughs> but it, it's true. Like this kind of this kind of stuff comes for anyone, anytime. And, and obviously it's like has to be a young woman, you know, just entering the, her like to the job field who gets taken down by, of course, a right wing um, effort. And it's sad that organizations like the AP, out media outlets and, and, and other folks don't see through this effort at such a bad faith attempt to smear somebody and they can't stand up to like, you know, a Mike Cernovich or some right winger or some or, you know, college Republicans on Stanford campus that they're going to be bullied into firing their own hire because of that BS. We can do better and I think we need to do better. And I hope that we get to a point where we can all speak out and not fear retribution in the goddamn workplace. Um, anywho. Oh, my God. Such a fun way to start off the show. <laughs> but uh let us let us let us bring in um my two guests for the entire hour. I'm so so lucky to have them. First off, she is a writer, actor, award-winning art critic, 
and comedian who's been named both Comedian You Should Know by Vulture and a comic to watch by Time Out LA. She's written for The Eric Andre Show and is a creator and host of the live comedy talk show Aesthetical Relations. Please welcome Christina Catherine Martinez. Hi, Francesca. Thank you for having me. Um, I just wanted to add the Aesthetical Relations um, is also a book of essays that I wrote in 2019 and is um, just had a reprint. So you can find that hopefully oh, yeah. in a, like a fine indie bookstore near you. Oh, not a Hudson News right next to like Janine Pirro's like autobiography. Hopefully you can find it on like a little acrylic table next to um, a <laughs> pile of dirty dog-eared Elle magazines from 2008 at your local manicurist. <laughs> I love that. I love that. that is <laughs> just going to hit that nail salon with some with some art knowledge. I'm actually I, I would love that actually. Maybe I should like seed some copies in like salons and dental offices. That's what activists do with zines. Like we would just like be like, this is my self-published thing. I'm going to like put it at the bus stop, you know, and like, mm -hmm. like sort of incept my, you know, writing into different places. Um, that's amazing. I, I'm excited to read it. I know nothing about art, but I know what's bad. Is that that's is that... all you need to know? That's okay. all you need to know. 90% of it is bad, and I see myself as an advocate for that sliver of stuff that's not abject garbage. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, I want to also bring in our, our other guest, um, for the hour. He's an author of A Brief History of Vice How Bad Behavior Built Civilization and a contributor to the investigative website Bellingcat. He's the host of the podcast Behind the Bastards, which explores some of the worst humans in history, and a new podcast miniseries, Behind the Police, uh, both for iHeartMedia. Please welcome Robert Evans. Hey. What's going on? Hi. <laughs> Thank you both um, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, my my whole thing is poorly introducing everything that I do, so I'm I'm glad that I'm I'm stayed on brand. <laughs> Was that a poor introduction? I I I had no idea what to say. I never do. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, you mean just coming in and being like, "Hey, hi, w yeah, what up?" That is fine. That's all that's all we need you to do. Honestly, I'm just happy to have you both here. And of course, you know, we got to start off on a negative note on this show and ask both of you, what are you bitching about now? So, Robert, do you want to kick it off and tell us what what's, Yeah. What are you bitching about right now? Well, like 30 minutes before I came on for this, I <laughs> fell down a Reddit rabbit hole about uh and their loss prevention system. So it turns out that Target has corporate-wide, like one of the most developed and advanced CSI in the entire country um, for any purpose. And one of the things they do is they don't, they, they'll let people shoplift, but they'll document what they're doing up until some, an individual crosses the threshold that they could charge them with a felony. And then they come down on them. And they'll like track people to their homes if you're like a repeat shoplifter, like, it's some some uh, minority report shit. Like they have a, a ridiculously aggressive and advanced uh, uh, loss prevention system, 
And it turns out that the place where they test all this new technology, because one of the ways they do this is they have this incredibly advanced hidden camera system in every target you've ever been that look oh like tracks God. and like notes when people are loitering in front of certain areas that in ways that make it, because like they've got enough data that they're like, okay, if somebody's for a certain time and for in, in, in certain parts of the store, it means they're probably going to steal, you know, certain highly stole, stolen items. And the store that they is, test case store for all of this, where they actually like set all this up and figured all this out, um, was the Minneapolis target that got burnt down last year, last year, or got looted last year. Um, so that, in, anyway, that's, that's, I've been, I'm, I've been both bitching at target and thinking back to when everybody fucked up that target. And because of how out of thing the CEO of target had to go on national, uh, go out in front of the nation to be like, it's actually okay that people destroyed our target. Please don't. We, we Please knew don't. they were destroyed a crime yeah. lab. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were the yeah. crime lab. <laughs> We saw He's, them. It, we knew they were going to burn us down. Like whatever, we yeah. called it. That's. Yeah. I remember <laughs> reading about this. Uh, that targets, basically, crime labs are legal grade because they have to prove mm -hmm. that their evidence is uh, legally admissible in courts. So they basically have like a private, private detectives, like police force. Yeah, it's I'm, great. I'm uh, I'm fucked. You know how many scrunchies I've stolen from Target since oh, I was a I used teenager? to steal so much shit from. They've got a file I'm on you from for a lot sure. Of places. <laughs> you know when I was when I was. I would I, I would rock around a bunch of different stores, um, but yeah, I definitely yeah. have stolen a number of things from Targets over the years, mainly like cables rock and around. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I um, once stole a jacket from an H and M. This is the only thing I've ever stolen. Full disclosure. How dare you? It, I know, and I'm I'm that person that's like it's wrong, but like this guy was begging. It didn't have a tag. It didn't have a tag, and it didn't have a beeper thing, and mm -hmm. so I just slung it over my arm. And then walked out. And that's, I, uh, yep, that's a very feminine way <laughs> of stealing. The feminine pathology of, I'm just going to walk out with it brazenly. And then if something goes off, I can be like, oh, oh, God, sorry. I, sorry. Whoa. I, like, I, I didn't know I was about, holding this. Yeah, I was thinking about my period because I'm mm -hmm. bleeding right yeah. now. I was oh just God, in such a me. rush to powder my tits. I forgot yeah. to buy this dress. <laughs> This is full female privilege for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I had to shoplift that. with my partner at the time in order to get away with it. <laughs> yeah, you had to have. And a, then you a, do a, the distraction thing where, like, I'll purchase a couple of items, but she's got a bunch of stolen shit on her person, and then we both walk out together. And it, yeah, it always worked pretty well. We never got caught. <laughs> you need to have a whole show on just on on petty theft tips. So what'd you steal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that podcast. I love that show. Generally, that should really be so a prime time. So what did you times. steal? Mm -hmm. The only problem with so steal? what did you steal is it's going to be hard to sell ad time on it. <laughs> <laughs> Advertisers are going to be like, nobody's going to buy anything on this show. They steal shit. Exactly. Uh, um, Christina, wh what are you bitching about today? Okay. It's a little abstract, but I've been pretty, I'm, I've had it up to here with the return to public life. I don't like it. I've been having a hard time. <laughs> I've gone to a couple shows this weekend. The return, like, like trying to figure out how to be a person, like at a party or a comedy show or in any sort of out social context. It's like playing emotional, psycho emotional chess with the social contract, which already <laughs> is like, was written with like a two sharp pencil on like a single ply of toilet paper. And now, and the pandemic was like, let's get it wet. But, um, <laughs> 
I, I don't think, um, you know, we all had a lot of like uh, inner crises and I don't think that um, we're at a point where we're ready to like put those into practice, like among others, you know, it takes every ounce of like civilized reserve I have to not just like flip someone's salmon steak out into the street whenever I'm jogging, like just, and I don't even know why. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, these are, I think it's more like the social fabric has been like turned inside out and like the lining yeah. honey is ugly. It, Do you know what ooh, I? Oh yeah. It's like an old purse and it's got like little like pen marks and stains and, 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 like, and crumbs crust. and stuff, yeah. you know, like, and I think we all have to grapple with this, but like normally that was the kind of thing you did in private. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with these intrusive thoughts. Like what if I just punted that person's dog or like rammed my fist into that person's cock au vent? And normally it's more of a thing like, you know, when you're doing the dishes and you turn the garbage disposal on and you look, <laughs> at, where this is going. And uh -huh. you look at your hand and like just for a second, you know, you think about it. And that's like thousands of years worth of civilization kind of up for negotiation <laughs> in that moment. Um, I used to oh. be able to do that in my house. And now uh, being outside is just like a progression of like increasingly <laughs> repressed primal urges that I'm not. You so too. true. Yeah. Oh my! Very briefly, I want to tell this story that is okay. So I did a comedy <laughs> show indoors, and a woman was not vaccinated, and because I was like, "Who's vaccinated?" Okay, da da da, and she was like, "No, I'm not vaccinated." And then I was like, "Oh no, what like message board did you read?" Okay, let's tell me, you know. And she's like, "I probably shouldn't say." And then she's like, "Okay, I'll say." I think that when you vibrate at a high enough frequency you won't get COVID-19. This woman said that shit to my face, to everyone. And mm. I immediately was like, oh my God, I guess my uncle didn't vibrate on a high enough frequency. Oh you my know? God. Like, I guess like, does anyone else have a relative who didn't vibrate on a high frequency? Um, I mean, maybe hospitals should install like those shitty hotel massage beds to just vibrate mm -hmm. people enough to deal <laughs> yes. with the problem. You don't need it later then. Just shake them good. Exactly. <laughs> just put some crystals you know around the hospital but here's the thing i uh uh christina i was like i super identify with that because part of me was also like what if i just beat the shit out of her like what if i just leapt off the stage and started beating her ass like i, truly, I think it's important I, i'm to... not a violent person mm -hmm. but i very much wanted to do that in that moment i think it's important to like yeah sit with those feelings I, like I think we need and to just oh, sorry. yeah no go ahead Robert please <laughs> no, no no sorry I was interrupting oh no I was just thinking about that uh yeah people it's like so much of I think I think our problems <laughs> are like people being afraid of their own thoughts and I'm like I I'm not afraid of my own thoughts I maybe I should be a little bit but it's you know it's the fact that you can hold that like what if I beat the shit out of someone right now mm -hmm. And letting it pass through your body that keeps you from not doing that every time someone mouths off in an insane way, which I'm sure happens a lot. Well, it's I had when to you, it's when you, it's when you frequency. have that, it's when you have that mentality where like, I'm at a higher frequency. I don't have <laughs> violent tendencies. I have it together. Yeah. K-I-T. Keep it together. Fucking, keep it together. Keep it and together. then target crime lab up in flames. I mean, I think you could I, I have to see like the idea behind a grand jury mixed with sort of streaming technology so that if you assault someone who says that 
they have too high a vibration to get COVID. The cops show up, but they're like, oh, no, we already did an online grand jury. And everyone said you had the right to beat the piss out of that person. You're good to go. Well, um, that, that's minority you report. You fix some shit. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, Why that's not turn it in a positive report. Yeah. I love I love this yeah the, the But I mean crowd... don't you yeah don't you think Twitter kind of acts as that de facto referendum that we get on people's character before seeing who they are in real life Yeah I I guess I'm <laughs> saying we should give Twitter the power die or not things are crimes I I can't see that going badly in any way No no <laughs> They've got I think it'll be fine now. Yeah Yeah I'm just worried about getting convicted of fashion crimes Mm True. I have forgotten how to wear pants. Um, but we got it, oh, you guys. God, we have to move on. Okay. <laughs> we need. We will move on from our. You know. You know our dark fantasies. Um, <laughs> you know that's for another pod. We got to get into the week. A lot of things happened. Uh, there was a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, um, but there's still violence at Al Aqsa Mosque. Uh, an AP reporter was fired for activism around Palestine. Um, uh, Governor Greg Abbott signed a heartbeat bill which would ban abortions at six weeks of pregnancy before many know they're even pregnant. Um, Rick Santorum was finally fired from CNN four years too late. And Rand Paul won't get the COVID-19 vaccine because he vibrates on a real high frequency. Um, but for everything else, this is the week where. This was the week where. Let me get to it. Here we are. This was the week where the House voted to establish an independent commission to investigate the January 6th Capitol riots. But Republicans are looking to block it in the Senate, which makes sense. Like, they know they don't need a 9-11 style commission on January 6th. They already know it was an inside job. Okay. They <laughs> okay. did it. <laughs> All right. That's like asking Osama bin Laden to decide whether or not to raid his own compound. Like, what do we think he's going to say? Um, or like asking the police to, you know, investigate themselves, which, wait a minute, <laughs> that actually happens. Um, some Republicans contend there are already investigations going on and that they should expand the scope of any new investigation to dig into other supposed culprits like Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the female orgasm. You know, they're going right to the source. Um, meanwhile, Capitol Police are having a hard time recruiting and keeping officers. Uh, an anonymous group of Capitol Police expressed their frustration at Republicans' reticence in forming commission, putting out a letter that said, we hope that members who we took an oath to protect would at the very minimum support an investigation to get to the bottom of everyone responsible and hold them 100% accountable, no matter the title or position they hold. Um, of course, that pretty, pretty clear message um, was completely mangled and misconstrued by America's most watched Klansman, Tucker Carlson. Um, Let's take a look at that. Do what we say or watch your back. In this case, that's exactly what they were saying to Republicans. Quote, we members of the United States Capitol Hill police write this letter to express our profound disappointment with the recent comments from both chambers' minority leaders, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell, expressing no need for a January 6th commission. We are expected to remain neutral and do our jobs with honor and integrity, the letter continued. It is unfortunate that our bosses, Congress, are not held to the same standard that we, the USCP, are. Well, that's a ransom note. Imagine getting it from one of your own bodyguards. It might be enough to make you rethink your position, which is, of course, the point of it. The Capitol Police are now effectively an armed political action committee. Imagine 
if that was one of your bodyguards, you guys, you know, your bodyguard. Yeah. Imagine if police were a lobby advocate for political changes in specific elected leaders. What a disaster that would be. Imagine if Tucker's getting him on the ground floor of this. I feel like this is the closest he's say he's come to saying like defund the police. <laughs> Imagine if trust was broken with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Imagine if they didn't make us feel safe. <gasps> oh my god! I don't it's- watch a lot of Tucker Carlson because it's traumatizing. But it, this terracotta colored gentleman is uh, he's got some really wild rhetorical acrobatics going on. Yes. Oh, um, obviously what we're referring to is the fact that the police already have a huge amount of political sway all the time. But of course, you know, and the right forever says blue lives matter. And if you draw attention to that at all, you're called, you know, unpatriotic or you hate police officers. Um, But when it comes to the Capitol police officers themselves defending themselves from a mob, then all of a sudden, blue lives don't matter anymore. No, 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 no. Now, now let's criticize the police. Now they're they're, they're holding us ransom. They're, it's a it's a threat to Republicans, um, which is just obviously a total misconstruing of what happened. Um, but what do you guys think about? You know, the vote hasn't happened yet. We need ten Republican senators to say yes. There should be a commission. What are your thoughts on whether or not they're going to vote to form one and and does it matter? I I don't know how much it matters because I don't think there's whether or not they do a commission. I don't think there's really any chance that they're going to bring any of the um, any of the members of Congress, any of the elected leaders, any of the major figures within the Republican Party who were responsible for inciting what happened on the sixth uh, charges on those people. I just don't see that happening. And if that doesn't happen, um, it's it's just going to be more than anything, a circus, you know, there, there's already an investigation going on. I, I think it would be positive if there was, you know, some accountability for, for uh, people who were in the Republican party and who spent years inciting this and who, you know, may have led folks um, on tours and stuff of the Capitol behind this, but I just don't, I don't think that's going to happen one way or the other. Um, I think we've kind of punted on that already. So I, I guess I'm just kind of fundamentally pessimistic that any of any of the major people behind this are going to see face any kind of justice. Um, I, yeah. I just don't see that happening one way or the other. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, I'm pessimistic in that like this piece of legislation just feels like more political theater, mm-hmm. but politics is theater. So I still feel like the establishment of a commission is more important than doing nothing because these things will have like you know in history books 20 years from now to say that this didn't happen is also just part of this like tiny little piece by piece erosion of faith in like our democracy mm-hmm. and i guess I, I my first question too was like well what would the commission do and the ridiculous thing is like that's almost less important than the fact that it would just the fact that if it was just formed would send a strong message and of course i don't think it would result in like yeah, real charges for any members of Congress. But um, yeah, I also feel like given that it's a symbolic gesture, I'd rather have the whole thing fail than to have it pushed through with all these um, qualifiers that like uh, Kevin McCarthy wants to put on it. Like, oh, well, then we'll throw in uh, Black Lives Matter and then investigate Antifa. 
I think that would almost do maybe not more, but that would do so much damage to lump those movements in with an actual insurrection. Like I can't tell which option would be more damaging to just like our faith in democracy, period. None at all. Or one that just like is an olla podrida of like random political (laughs) movements that they find unsavory. Oh my God. All of DC is the olla podrida. Um, (laughs) I feel like, you know, here's the thing. It's May and, and it's, it feels like it's been a year since January 6th. It feels like it's been way too long. And I had to like stop and be like, wait a minute, how long has it been? Like not that long, but also I I kind of agree with Robert, like a little too long to start get, to start this process now. I know there have been other investigations. This would arguably go deeper, I think, into some of the misinformation. It would go deeper into who promoted the big lie. I mean, I'm looking at Representative Paul Gosar and Louis Gohmert. I'm looking at them like working with, you know, the Stop the Steel rally planners, like all of that stuff, Um, much more so than, oh, here, let's arrest a proud boy or two, you know, or let's Mm. arrest this one guy. Um, And so I feel like it is important. I'm just like, I feel like we could have done both things and we could we should have been having this discussion a lot earlier when it was way fresher and when we f- we knew that Kevin McCarthy was on the phone to Donald Trump going no 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 this is not Antifa these are your people Th- this is you and he's openly admitting that now it's like 180 and of course since a day in news is again like 6 months <laughs> it all just washes away and that is i think that's the most terrifying part of it um Mm -hmm. look do you think i I guess i'm asking both of you do you think like it feels like almost like an extension of like like a less flashy but like an extension of like trump's strategy of like creating a symbolic distraction so they can like pass actually really harmful legislation like all of the new voter suppression bills basically that are popping up like whack-a-moles everywhere I just second guessed myself. I was like, oh, well, this is symbolic, but it's important. And I'm just like, oh, God, well, there's like more like much less symbolic legislation that's just being pushed through state by state. And it's like kind of terrifying to think about, well, how many how many of those bills are going to be like put through by 2022, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, an example of kind of the thing that's most frightening about American politics, which is that Democrats are. um extremely reactive in what they actually do and extremely ad hoc and Republicans mm. have a concluded plan that they go after um, on a very granular level. So you have these extremely effective state organizations that carry, that act as part of a comprehensive plan. How's the continue to wield power, even though they only really have maybe a quarter between a quarter and a third of the, of the country, like seriously in them. Um, they're they're so effective at organizing and wielding their power, and the Democrats are just kind of um, they, playing defense. They're, they're, they're not, <laughs> yeah, not even play, it's like not even playing defense because they don't defend anything half the oh time. Oh my god, they're just they're they're just. I I see no certain strategy on behalf of Democratic legislators or leaders um, to accomplish anything that actually I think needs to be accomplished. I'm sure they have 
in their own heads strategies, but I don't see, I don't see them. I don't, I have not seen on behalf of the Democratic Party for all they talk about climate change. I've seen no concerted effort over the last 20 years to address environmental issues that is even vaguely comparable to the concerted effort that conservatives have executed in order to criminalize abortion. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I have, I have not seen anything like that for anything on, on, on the liberal side of it. Maybe the only possible exception to that maybe gay marriage um but i feel yeah. i even feel like that was not particularly driven by the democratic party they just kind of admitted it had already become popular enough among enough people that it was like kind of a politically unwise because i mean the you know mm -hmm. uh, obama and biden embraced pretty late culturally i don't see that as as um i just don't see the democrats making plans and carrying them yeah. out Robert, can I ask what do you, how would you characterize the GOP's ultimate plan? Um, like, like what is, is the what is the plan? <laughs> it is to maintain power, um, and it is to um, continue to maintain the state of white supremacy that has is 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 sort of when they hearken back to what America should be, what they're talking about yeah. was a period of time in which the cultural power of rights, white supremacy in this country was unquestioned. We're talking like the 1950s, really like the height of, of mm -hmm. American exceptionalism and power. Um, that's what they want to go, the thing that they are attempting to maintain. And that's yeah. why things like gay marriage are so important, or not gay marriage, that's why um, uh, uh, fighting abortion in particular a critical issue for them because it's a way you can keep a lot of people who might otherwise disagree with you about things like economic justice right a lot of conservative christians are actually open to a lot of kind of more left-wing attitudes about um social welfare but mm -hmm. they can't compromise on abortion and that's not a thing that's always existed that that process of making compromise and abortion impossible started in the 1970s and it was part of an extremely well thought out successful tactic to guarantee that they can maintain their power base yeah also by keeping women in sort of second second class citizenship sure. that really helps um i just want to say look shoe on the other foot republicans would be going ape right how long did the benghazi trials last and the hearings or whatever the hell mm -hmm. trials they wish like it was endless and so shoe on the other foot and it's just like when will democrats actually respond um in kind and the way we need to and i think this goes a lot to what robert you've studied which is fascism and how to prevent it and i want to talk later about that well, we got to move on <laughs> to our next story and then we'll we'll wield our way around or you know find our way around um this was the week where it was revealed that the neighborhood watch app citizen is planning on rolling out private security workers to the scenes of reported disturbances um this week citizen vehicles were spotted around los angeles with the slogan making your world a safer place. Mm. Um, I love that like tech bros listen to the Black Lives Matter movement's call to defund the police and we're like, oh, you mean disrupt the police? <laughs> okay. Oh uh, my God. Like the only thing better than a police officer or scarier is a gig worker police officer who like also works at Starbucks. Um, Citizen has heard people's cries against police unions, obviously. Uh, so don't worry. Their workers definitely won't be able to form one. All right. So there's maybe a silver lining. Um, 
If you think that I'm being hyperbolic, though, uh, on its own website, Citizen basically sells itself as this tech bro police fantasy, writing, quote, you used to have to call the police tip line to help. Now you can use Citizen to broadcast live video sharing relevant updates with others. This is like a weaponized next door. Like this is that app plus guns together. Um, uh, does it work is the real question. I know some people are like, yeah, but maybe it helps. Maybe, you know, they catch criminals or whatevs. Um, Citizen recently flexed its crime solving muscle by trying to get to the bottom of an arson, offering $30,000 um, as a reward for a tip on, on a, a homeless man who was reportedly seen near a fire, the fire, and posted this photo of him, right? And police eventually did detain that man, but then let him go because there was literally no evidence of him doing it, um, even though that photo was posted. Of course, they apologize and, like, they swear they're going to, like, figure it out. They just haven't cracked that code yet. They're going to figure out how to do anti-crime. They're going to figure out how to make an yeah. uncrime. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the minority report, this is like a roving target. <laughs> target story. Yeah, it's it's like they 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 watched what happened during the uh, the Boston Marathon bombing when a bunch of people repeatedly identified the culprits and were like, what if we added financial incentive to fucking this up at scale <laughs> and built built a company around it? Um, by the way, we're the same who made Uber, so you know we'll get it right. Like, just... Jeez. Fuck these people. I don't know. Fuck, just fuck these people a thousand <laughs> times. That's all I have to say on that. I would also like to say uh, fuck these people. And uh, I, what's disappointing is that this is happening in L.A., which we like to think of ourselves as like the seat of like progressive politics. And like this fuck this service wouldn't exist if there weren't enough fucking rich NIMBYs who need mm -hmm. to you know, yes, police but wanted to pay for it. I mean, we already have private firefighters. We know that. Right. That's why, like, mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian's house didn't burn down in Thousand Oaks because there was private firefighters uh, protecting it. I mean, this is I think you would agree, Robert. I mean, this is the part of the GOP tactic to, like, break down society is they say they want, like, limited government and they prove their point by making like government institutions so fucked up and inoperable that like corporations feel like they have to take pick up the slack and then everything is privatized meaning it's like yeah, priceable I mean, yeah it's the shit that um the Koch brothers and their father before them and that whole wing of the <laughs> You know, the chunk of people who stole the word libertarian from the and then used it as a cudgel to beat civil society to death uh, over the from the 1980s up to today. Um, this is just another that because um, when your access to any kind of, of security is is based entirely upon whether or not you pay that security, then you don't even have to deal with the issues that cops are having now, because like people get angry now because it's like, well, but the police are murdering people they're supposed to protect. But if people's hired goons are, are damaging people, they're, they're just doing their job. They're the hired goons of the rich. Um, and you can take those rich people to the court if you'd like. Yeah. You know? I was going to say, I what are arguably better, arguably you're in a better position than uh, qualified immunity currently. With yeah. I feel a lot better. I'm as a citizen <laughs> myself, if I had to, draw down on a fucking corporate security, private security guy. I feel a lot safer doing that than defending myself against 
cop. So I guess from that standpoint, yeah. Yeah, like, I was gonna say that's the that's the that's the the messed up silver lining is like what <laughs> are the like I want to know like what legally a private security officer yeah. can do. I know we have mm -hmm. citizens yeah. arrest, which every time I try it has never worked. People, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I look menacing enough. You gotta um, use a taser. <laughs> apparently, you gotta put on like a like a you gotta paint your face and put on a fur thing and like carry zip ties and say you that just you're need, just mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly, and a proper like shield. Like a just a shield with a random like Nordic symbol on it. I can't wait for because so much of society in general is becoming a product. I can't wait for like the influent the 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 rhetorical acrobatics that the influencer gonna influencers are gonna start to use for uh, collaborating with with these private security <laughs> brands. Yeah, and they're and they're being super hush about it. Not the influencers, but the actual company. <laughs> um, uh, they are not talking about. You know, we're not sure if they're armed. I said they might be armed, but it's like you know, who knows where it's going? Yeah, but I want to know. Like, do these people carry guns? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's they, the same. that's hard to find information about. They yeah. they are real okay about what precisely these guys are allowed to do and what they are equipped to do. Yeah, um, and do you I suspect they people, won't. Yeah. Rich people, do you yeah. want personal bodyguards? Selena was killed by the president of her own fan club. <laughs> you, it's a horseshoe theory of protection. Like people who are paid to protect you need to have a certain level of distance. Otherwise, they'll get so close. There's just resentment. Oh my wow. God. Dude, I mean, first the, of all, the I lesson love I everyone. took from that is. Hmm. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I love everyone in the chat. But if anyone in the chat wanted to be my like bodyguard, I would absolutely <laughs> say no because you can't be a fan and be the head of security because like mm -hmm. that's just like that's too close. You know, that's it's too close. That's crazy. I just heard that's an crazy. anecdote about that David Spade was almost murdered by like a fan someone who used to, not in a fan, like an assistant or someone who used to work for him. This is well documented. I mean, it's very easy to look up, but I feel that's like terrifying. it would be hard to work for David Spade and not at least try to murder him. Like I feel like that's <laughs> happened a lot to David Spade. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it could be. It could be. I'm just saying that's 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 the uh, that's the that's the that's the chemist. That's the dangerous alchemy you start to play with when mm -hmm. you put like a like someone someone to protect you and also care about you. Like you put that too close together. It's a recipe yeah, for rain, trouble. Rain with fire. Um, all right, one final story, and then we will move on quickly. And relatedly, um, this will be the week um, where uh, Joe Biden will host the Floyd family in the White House. This is the family of George Floyd, because this will mark the one-year anniversary of his murder on May 25th. Um, this is obviously a month after a grand jury found police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of murder. Um, and Biden apparently wanted to sign a George Floyd Justice in Policing Act on this occasion, this one-year anniversary of his murder. Um, but of course, Republicans are haggling over the deets. Uh, and because of the filibuster, we can't have nice things like a clear majority in the Senate that is right there. Um, so there's no uh, there's no agreement. There's a bipartisan agreement on things like uh, new standards for no knock warrants, banning chokeholds, placing limits on equipment. The Department of Defense can send to state and local police departments, which is just 
the most mealy mouth reforms uh, ever. Um, it's like, we're going to maybe have a standard one day. Um, but Democrats want to do away with qualified immunity for police officers, right, which currently protects them from any civil litigation and thereby making the bar for accountability really, really, really high, as in kneeling on someone's neck for nine minutes high. Um, Republicans, however, want to keep qualified immunity because according to Senator Tim Scott, if you do away with it, quote, chances are very low that you're going to have officers responding. So community safety goes down now. OK, uh, point taken and <laughs> counterpoint, um, considering that many communities are unsafe because of police, maybe fewer officers responding is a good thing. Like, you know, like I feel like George Floyd might still be alive if fewer officers had responded to that incident. But anyway, I just also love the idea that that's Tim Scott's like, you know, floating that, you know, if they can't, well, you know, if these poor lads like can't come in guns blazing, what the, what the hell are they in it for? You know, they're just like <laughs> sitting in their cars like, man, I should have just stayed home and played Grand Theft Auto. Like this sucks. Like what? What? Uh, anyway, um, where once again, we are at a deadlock in Congress over the most basic reforms. But Robert and, and, and Christina, what do you guys think about this reform around qualified immunity? How important is it? Um, and, and, and where do you think, you know, where do you think, yeah, what are your thoughts on it? I think it's, I think it's extremely important. I don't, which isn't to say that I think that this specific qualified immunity reform is going to fix the problems with qualified immunity or fix policing, because I don't think it can be fixed. Um, but I think it's still important. This is this is a particularly important fight because a big part of what you're doing is culturally fighting the idea that such a thing as qualified immunity should exist. And even if the actual specifics of the reform be moderate, pushing that conversation is extremely important. And one of the reasons I think this is the vehemence with which law enforcement unions across the country have been protesting like this and the changes at state levels uh, and I think it's New York and Colorado and um, New Mexico have all done variant uh, reforms on, on qualified immunity. Um, and I, I think it's, um, I, I think the actual change here to the extent that anything is going to be changed in the law is to be the result of people's attitudes about police changing. I think in a lot of ways, the most significant from last year's uprisings was not any of the reforms at the local or state or national level, because those were in most cases pretty modest and usually fell a lot of how they were initially pitched. But what you have seen in cities like Seattle, cities like Portland, cities like uh, Minneapolis, this is happening too, is police departments unable to make their staffing numbers because people are quitting and leaving and people don't want to be cops and don't want to be cops in those specific is because they see the job is not as respected uh, as it once was and it's not as pleasant and they don't feel they feel hated and I think that's going to do more than any legal reform. And I also think that will lead to more legal reforms, right? If the mm. common attitude of a, a majority of the citizens like, well, fuck those guys. Um, that <laughs> makes it a lot easier to push through changes that reduce their ability to kill people. And yet the right uses that and they're like, well, see, nobody gets any respect. And that's why like nobody wants to be a police officer because everyone hates them so much. And it isn't like, well, why is that? It's more like, well, you need to reinstate. We need to reinstate blind respect 
for this clearly like runaway, you know, um, job like this, this un unaccountable um, institution like that apparently we just have to like, you know, we have to just make them feel cozy and warm and like bake them cookies and stuff and like, you know, hold their hair while they puke or I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I like that you just said it, Robert, that it is, it's a, it's a cultural attitude that needs to shift. And it's qualified immunity is definitely like a manifestation of that. It's basically like stipulates that, Oh, police can violate someone's civil rights if they think they were doing it legally, which is, that doesn't even make sense. What mm -hmm. bothers me about this White House shit happening without any legislation happening is, um, I think, and it's something I've been thinking about, you know, a, a little while. I think so much of the Democrats and liberals, um, these, these gestures toward like racial solidarity, are not only are they empty, I think they're really like uh, an inverse of um, they're like the other side of white supremacy. It's a thing that we love to do to think that this is like, oh, I'm going to do my homework and this is going to fix a racism. White people fucking love homework. And that's also I think it's a form of racism. It's like it's like, oh, I'm going to read white fragility and feel really bad about myself. But like this country was founded on Judeo-Christian Calvinist ethics. You know that feeling bad about yourself is, feels so fucking good. And then <laughs> that feeling gets mistaken for some kind of like political action. And I. Ooh, that I, is, that's just, that is deep, Christina. That's like, I haven't thought about that in that way before. That it oh, is I fucking, I mean, I'm white and I'm a first generation Mexican immigrant. So I feel like I'm a, like I get both. I get both sides. I call it brown ops because you wouldn't believe <laughs> the shit that white people say when they think they're alone. I, I had a I had a professor in college who was like a Marxist French guy who taught like a Godard class, and he, oh god, that's very much was like yeah. there was no structure to the class. It was a collective effort, obviously. And he it's brought the most it up this postmodernist class ever. But he definitely said he's like, but he's like, I know how much you like anal retentive American students need homework. So if you need homework, I'll give it to you. And he <laughs> was kind of joking, but I think that speaks so much to like this. I find it not maybe more damaging. It's less violent, but it's a more pernicious form of white supremacy of like people doing things to feel good. I think it's another form of superiority to like turn black people into like a homework assignment or like uh, now I have to throw an event to show this. I need to read I've my book. Invite the family of George Floyd, but I'm not able to do the basic things to reform or overturn the filibuster so that we can yeah. actually get something passed. But I think even deeper than what we won't get to a level of getting to like the nuts and bolts of reform that's going to change this until, and I really, I, I feel weird saying this, but I think it's true. It's like, I mean, white supremacy is like, it's a spiritual disease. And I think the attitude that white people have about it is not going to change until they actually, we actually not just feel bad, but like grieve because we lose, like yeah. everybody does. But like, I, I think it's too, it's almost too ego shattering for white people to admit how much we fucking lose, how much we miss out on by like an abject failure to like, apprehend or let alone celebrate just like black excellence and black people in general. 
Mm. I don't know what the program is that like makes that happen. But I feel like that's like the foundation of what it reminds. It reminds me of what like Baldwin said, where he was like, until white people see their own fates is intertwined with the fates of black Americans, we will never actually have racial justice in this country. So it's very much a like it's a little bit of a we are all part of this. Um, We are all one, et cetera. Um, Robert, any any thoughts on the uh, the performative welcoming of the Floyd family? (laughs) But I mean, yeah, it's the it's this thing you see all across particularly white society which is okay here's this problem it's massive and heartbreaking and uh devastating and i i don't have any idea how to fix it or the solutions people are telling me to actually fix it um are not something that i to do because there will be consequences to me for doing it but i can be seen publicly doing something that actually costs me nothing and achieves nothing. So let's do that. (laughs) It's the fully marching down a bridge of being the president, right? It's yeah, that didn't really accomplish anything. You showed up and you, you get to, to brag that you were there, but it did not, it did not fix the problem. Um, you know what we need it. We've got the presidential equivalent of marching peacefully down a bridge. What we need is the presidential equivalent of burning the third precinct down. (laughs) Damn. Um, Quickly, I I do want to just read a couple of comments from the wonderful folks in the chat. Susie Rock, I've run into private bodyguards before. They got guns. Um, And on the police, Smitty560 on YouTube, qualified immunity is a nice way to say the rules don't apply to us. Mm -hmm. And the tone box says, agreed. I'm hopeful. I'm hopefully I'm hopeful this shift in public opinion opens up us up to actual reform. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a whole discussion going on right now about crime being up. And L.A., for example, has had a lot of successes when it comes to, you know, passing Measure J, which, you know, diverted 10 percent of the general budget away from police. Well, it turns out the LAPD is beefing its like forces up. They're hiring like 300 more police officers, essentially undoing that democratic like measure that we all voted on here that we all wanted. And the city's like, no, because crime yeah, see, I know housing and the education and that, 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 mental health services. No, 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 police. Um, so here we are back in this merry-go-round again. Um, and Robert, you've looked at you've looked a lot at the like crossovers and especially your up close look at this crossover between white supremacists, proud boys, oath keepers, you know, and like police officers, whether uh, former, current military personnel. We saw that on January 6th, that those former and current military personnel, police officers, you know, were among the rioters. And you've seen that up close in Portland. And so I guess I just wanted to ask you about, like, what does it look like on a on a granular, on a reporting level when you have, like, police officers and white supremacists sort of, like, caping for one another and sort of, like protecting each other like what is what was that looking like this is a year ago we're talking now in the portland I mean, you know <laughs> uprising or whatever it looks there's a number of different ways it looks on august 22nd last year it looked like somewhere around 400 or so white supremacists proud boys um fascists showing up with guns and knives and batons and mace and grenades directly in front of the police station 
and committing assault on hundreds of people. I mean, I, I hand broken by a guy with a baton and we were standing in front of the police station and I didn't see an entire cop that whole fight. It was literally, there were about on the left wing side at the start of it, they were out by the end of it. There were about 1200 anti-fascists and about 400 right wingers beating the shit out of each other um, for more than an hour uh, without the police showing up because the police saw that group who, who build it as we're showing up to fight these leftists protect who have been protesting the police. And right. they showed up and started hitting people and started macing them and started gang assaulting them, beating people on the ground. And the cops did not show up the entire time. And the only thing that ended it was eventually because the protest community in Portland was well enough organized at that point, enough showed up that they were able to fight them off and get them to retreat. Um, that's one way it looks. Another way it looks is some of the stuff you saw in 2018, 2019, um, where Portland police um, officers, Jeff Nia would be the, uh, I think he, I think he's a, a he might, he's either a lieutenant or a captain. I don't know his exact rank. He was mm -hmm. one of the guys who would organize police responses, and he was texting with these Proud Boys the whole time, um, and including giving them advice. There's video of him being like, okay, well, we could arrest some guys in your crowd. We've arrested some guys in their crowd, but we won't arrest you if you go this to this area. Or if you if you want to bring weapons, then you're going to have to go around this area because we're not searching people there. Um, like shit like that. Like it, it's everything from kind of benign neglect on behalf of these people to outright abetting them. Mm, to outright what? Aiding and abetting them. You know, it's a mix of benign neglect, just sort of not policing them. And in, and that's most of it, that 70% and 30% of it is actively collaborating with them. It's interesting because a lot of people might look at that and say, oh, that must be new because these protests are specifically against police violence. But truly, it is not. So I know many folks who have done counter demonstrations whenever like the KKK rolls into town, you know, or like any white supremacist groups and police officers consistently. I think there was one instance in Sacramento where like they gave a white supremacist group, the police precinct, gave them cover, allowed them to be in their offices, like escaping the counter protests. Um, so there's this isn't just a new phenomenon. And I think obviously with the origin of policing itself we know it's not um yeah, so robert you've got this new podcast you know short mini series about police and i think it's hard for some folks they're a little incredulous when you know the, the line well you know police started with slave patrols and catching or you know capturing so-called runaway slaves right and is how true is that story and is that like I think people are like, no, police must have been around for forever. That's no, we've always had police. It's like very natural to assume we've always had them. And then there's an incredulity around. No, they can't. That's an awful origin story. What do you mean? They were maybe they're good guys. Um, what have you learned yeah. in your research? I mean, it's it, it the idea of kind of like how to enforce laws in society goes back much further than the the modern concept concept of police. So it would be wrong to say that policing started with slave patrols, but it would be accurate to say that policing in the American South started with slave patrols. And it is direct enough that, for example, the St. Louis police 
literally are a direct continuation of a slave patrol. There's no debate about that, no argument about this. It is historically there, what was initially a patrol to catch slaves became the St. Louis Police Department. Um, and there's a lot of, and this is across in large part the American South and it's, it's spread outside of there, but it's specific, it's very particular in the South. One of the things you saw the slave patrols um, was their use of dogs, um, and they would use dogs in order to catch slaves and in order to brutalize them. And a big part of the kind of culture of fear that stopped slave revolts was the fear of being torn apart by these dogs that the patrols would use. And one of the things that kicked off everything that happened in Ferguson, and was it 2014, um, was the, the Ferguson police use police dogs to brutalize suspects who are virtually all black um, and are never white um, yeah. and use them in a lot of these same ways. If you read descriptions of how slave patrols would use dogs to brutalize black people in the 1840s and 50s, and you read some of the shit Ferguson police was doing when Obama was in office, yeah, they're the stories. So I wouldn't say policing started with slave patrols, but I would say that slave patrols are the origin point of one type of American policing that is extremely influential. Um, now there's other aspects of like where policing came from and, and including like a lot of policing originated in parts of the not have a history of slavery, right? Because there, there were states that were never slave states, but they had forms of law enforcement. So I, I, I don't want to like- Did you say in, in Europe? No, in the States too like there there oh, oh, there yeah. are states in the US that have never been slave states but had forms of law enforcement you know from the beginning in them Oregon right. for example was never a slave state because it was too racist to have slaves right Oregon <laughs> didn't say, have, like, surprising yeah but, but because it was too racist for slaves not as a good fit it's not right 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 some, there were some places that banned slavery because they were too racist to have anybody who wasn't white there and Oregon is one of these places um but North still very deeply tied with particularly anti-black racism. And I would say probably the best, I mean, there's a couple of really good anecdotes. One of them is that the Portland police in the 1920s um, had a police vigilante unit that the Portland police gave badges and guns to handpicked citizens who were by the Ku Klux Klan to carry out you can guess what they did. And this happened in other parts of Oregon an awful lot and all over the country. A huge in the 20s of sharing police chiefs in the United States were also Klansmen. Um, this, and this is across the nation. It's incredibly endemic. And the KKK had a significant impact on the way law enforcement was done. Um, Wait, can I, yeah, this, I is, this is fascinating. No, I have a question because I'm really yeah. interested. Do you know, I have no idea, but I remember this was a part of, like I grew up in a big church and there was a police chaplain program, which is, mm. And like, when did that start in the United States? This like weird practice of like, we're just going to like bring some pastors on ride alongs and they kind of hang out. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I tell They're going to bless this arrest. I could, and I don't know if it's dealt with, I don't recall it being dealt with in the book, but in general, if you're interested in where a lot of our problems with policing came from. There's a very good book mm -hmm. called The End of Policing by I think Alex Vitale is the name of the mm -hmm. author. And it's yeah, not only on you show. can purchase it. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's available for free. Um, yeah, it's a, on now, a, so as an ebook. Can, oh, okay. Yeah, um, and that, that deals with a lot of stuff. I, I, now, I don't know about the history that... of police chaplains, but I one thing that does interest me is 
the degree to which religion and policing are tied in the United States. But go when you go outside of um, where slave patrols were kind of more the origin of policing. There's an there's a huge amount of kind of Puritan values that all stayed into the enforcement of laws. Um, and particularly the enforcement of laws that were designed to crack down on deviance. Um, yeah. And you can see a lot like what done and has been done to gay people and stuff uh, in the yeah. United I, States. I don't want to conflate the KKK with the church writ large, but it is interesting that you point out there's like a history of police sort of handpicking people from groups that they are okay with being like, oh, you can kind of mm -hmm. just come hang with us. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, there's there's a Venn diagram yep. there. Um, Robert, you're kind of cutting out. So if, if we're like, what? Um, that's why. Um, but uh, I, I think what when Alex Vitali was on the show, the thing that he crystallized for me is the way that along with sort of like the development of like capitalism and, you know, property rights and all that stuff that police are a way to sort of enforce the inequality that like all mm -hmm. of the, you know, he particularly looking, looking at cities, you know, all of the, whether it's the deficit in housing and education or, you know, um, or, or, or joblessness that, well, that's okay. If you just have a giant police force to keep everyone away from complaining about it or to stop them from stealing food when they're hungry or stealing something to sell when they need money. Like if you just maintain this giant police force, you never actually have to deal with the like inherent inequities that capitalism and, you know, cre that creates, right? Like that, that, mm -hmm. that is what it is. And so it goes hand in hand with that. And I think that's, um, I haven't finished the behind the police series, but I'm very excited uh, to hear how that also works into it. Um. I think uh, the best way to know what is per what the people who are in power in society aren't willing to say they endorse, but do endorse, is to look at what provokes outrage from them and what does not. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Outraged by looting. Outraged by looting. You know something <laughs> Joe Biden's never said a word about, to my knowledge. Um, throughout the first decade or so of the U.S. occupation of Iraq, a series of devices was sold to the U.S. military and the Iraqi military that was designed to sniff out bombs and was in reality fake. It didn't do anything. And huge numbers of people died as a result of bombs that were set off in civilian areas because a company had grifted the U.S. military and the Iraqi government tens of millions of dollars to make these fake bomb detectors. Not a word. Because looting of American shops isn't supposed to happen. That's somebody upsetting the system. But a shady military contractor greasing palms and bribing people and profiting off of death and destruction in a in a in, in an impoverished distant land that's supposed to happen so why would mm -hmm. we get outraged at um mm -hmm. yeah i wanted to move away from policing for one second and pick up on the very first thing we talked about on the show which was around january 6th and robert you had a really good episode of the behind the bastards that really blew my mind and it was all about the um the fascist mob in France in, I believe, 1943. Uh, um, 34. 34. Oh, 34, excuse me. In 1934. Yeah. 
Yes, the that you sort of saw this as a like a, a corollary in history of these like fascist militias motivated by, you know, propaganda and like essentially fake news um, trying to storm the Capitol and take over the government. And they failed. And which was a great silver lining for me at the end of that one, um, which also the January 6th, you know, Capitol riot failed from their ultimate goal of overturning a Democratic election. What do you what do you know of the fallout in France in that moment? And like kind of almost like how does that help us with this moment? Like what should the fallout be when something so insane happens it, or, 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 in, or do we just go like, well, that was weird. guess we shouldn't <laughs> do that again. Yeah, don't. OK, are we not going to talk about how that was really insane? OK, cool. Glad it didn't succeed. <laughs> I, I think in a lot of ways, February 6th. 1934 uh, was, was mm -hmm. what happened or was when that happened. And it was over a vote um, that was other things going to be um, replacing the head of the, the Paris police um, in, in the, 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 the parliament of France. And um, this mob that was really made up of these kind of right wing political organizations that were also street gangs. One of them was called French action. Um, to cross a fight, which was like a veterans group that's kind of analogous to um, the Oath Keepers um, and a number of other like right-wing organizations, some of which were fascist, some of which was very Catholic and conservative, some of which mm -hmm. wanted to overthrow the government, some of which didn't. And one of the reasons why they didn't overthrow the government is that they weren't unified. They were all angry and wanted to force members of the government to resign. They weren't all unified about wanting to overthrow the democratic government and replace it with something not democratic. Um, one of the things that happened in the wake of that was the formation of large and organized French anti-fascist organizations, um, because the, the, what had happened on the, on the, the 6th, it was also the 6th, it was February 6th, <laughs> um, convinced a lot of, of people in France, even up to that, that point, it had been the people opposing the right in the streets had been like a mix of communists and anarchists. And one of the things that happened in French society was there was a growing understanding among people who were kind of less politically extreme that like, oh, we've got to we got to do something about this. Um, and so a yeah. lot of mainstream intellectuals got on board. And I, I what, what's frustrating about um, February 6, 1934, is that it is in a lot of ways the most direct historical parallel to what happened this year in the state cap. Uh, was a much more direct parallel in terms of how it looked, in terms of what it almost achieved, in terms of what was going on socially in the country, than, for example, Hitler's putsch in Munich, uh, the march on Rome in Italy. The thing that is frustrating is that when I'm trying to outline what can this teach us about what we should do, you can only take that so far because 1840, France was invaded and occupied by the Nazis, which is not something we have as clear apparent. Like, whatever happens right. with fascism in this country, Germany's not to invade us. <laughs> I feel confident saying that's not going to happen. So we don't know if that's kind of an unanswered question because a lot of people who were behind what happened in February, who supported it, who had talked in parliament and said like, yeah, we should have overthrown the government. A lot of those folks wound up in charge in France when the Nazis took over. They wound up in charge because the Germans invaded them, not because they managed to push their way into power democratically again. So there's only so much you can kind of extend that when trying to see what lessons it has for us here. Because we just it, don't know, would the French fascist movement have taken power if the Nazis hadn't invaded? I can't answer that question. 
Right. So we don't maybe will be invaded and occupied and like we won't yeah. have to be in the driver's seat of our own fate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anymore. Mm -hmm. I've been really wanting for Denmark to coup us. Like I've been putting out the call. Just give us universal health care, you know, and whatever else you got. I'm Legos. waiting for a citizen app to become the first landless nation state. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and go join them. Yes. Um, I think one of the best parts about that episode, and everyone should listen, and and I know we have to move on, but is the way that you talk about the splintering of liberals and leftists and how they were sort of infighting the whole time and didn't see this like growing fascist movement right next to them. And I feel like that's very similar to, you know, in a lot of ways... <laughs> A little bit of what we've been going through in the United States. And I think in a good way, there has, if there's a good thing that Trump did, it's no one can be in denial or no one who should be taken seriously can be in denial of a real threat of American fascism in this country. Um, and I think that there's been some unification around that. I do think it can fray more, but, you know, Liberals love not to take it seriously. Leftists take it seriously, but they get iced out of the political machinery all the time. Um, you know, and, and thus it goes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I would say, I don't know, like, not to get all hyper-normalization, but it's also scary, like, you can deny it. I think that's a lot of what conservatives are doing. They're yeah. just playing mm -hmm. the denial so hard that, like, and the only thing that's saving us is, you know, the fact that we do have such a fractured media landscape. You know, this is not like Cold War Russia where it's like there is one, you know, news station <laughs> controlling the narrative. Um, <laughs> for better or worse, there's many and they're like um, nausea inducing yeah, the there's, multiplicity. There's, uh, there's the YouTubes and uh, the Twitch. What up? Um, you guys, this is such a heady, important uh, discussion. And yet I have to... <laughs> I have to end it with some lightheartedness. So we're going to go on to our last segment. <laughs> I haven't been doing interstitials at all. Did I do an interstitial? Okay, let's do this interstitial. Uh, that's the music we play. The mm -hmm. little music we play. Um, we're talking about reunions, all right? Because Friends, you know, the best sitcom, according to 13-year-old me, um, is having a reunion. And that, that, that's where, like, cast members get together and they, like, compare, you know, who's got better surgery. And um, this one is going to be led by James Corden. Everyone's talking about it. It's a big thing. But I want to know, other than the Friends reunion, which maybe you don't care about, what is the worst reunion you could possibly imagine? Either a TV show, a band, um, or, like, a political movement. Uh, this is The Worst Reunions. Da, 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 da. Uh, Christina, you want to kick it off? What are yeah. what's your list of worst reunions? I only kind of I only have two. One I thought it'd be fun to have like a reunion of enlightenment thinkers, and they could do like a live commentary of binge watching Sex in the City. And <laughs> um, the other ones I thought uh, it'd be fun. You know, what if like Lincoln, Roosevelt, Washington, and Jefferson they got together every year to recreate like a fun photo of Mount Rushmore, and then. <laughs> You can put it together into one of those like feel good, like, uh, you know, BuzzFeed videos. It's like these former presidents got together every year to recreate this photo. And it's just them getting like fatter or more dead, you know. 
Um, <laughs> That's exactly the way that BuzzFeed headline sounds to me. Mm -hmm. Is the Big Bang Theory still going? I thought, oh, that would be like a horrible reunion. But first, the show has to end, right? I, I think I that's. Think I think it's ended. The stipulation. Ugh. Was yeah. that a little admission yeah. that maybe you watch it, Robert? Not no. on a plane. No, my it's it's it was my dad's favorite show. Um, so. I, oh. I was treated when I was over there recently to them watching a lot of the the new show the 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 young ship so um I'm fairly certain the original's not on anymore right because that's the way reboots work or whatever it is I mean I guess yeah, that's yeah. the reboot that would have been the most night but seems like it's gonna go on for another 10 years so I can't announce that or I can't pick that I think I'm I'm pretty frightened about the Frasier reboot because the only um Ooh. charismatic the cast is dead now um R.I.P. John Mahoney, who was a real yes, yeah, yeah, real champion. Um, then it's just gonna that? it's just gonna be like Frazier and Niles yeah. standing around like stirring cappuccinos and like they're gonna that's be podcasting. It. Yeah, they're definitely gonna be podcasting. They're definitely like you needed John. Yeah, there's gonna be a whole thing um, about like the sponsor for the podcast is like mm -hmm. you know a bra company, which I always joke I really want to sponsor this <laughs> this podcast. But, you know, they're going to have to do a live read and it'll be very awkward. Um, I was just watching. Um, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, um, I think Andy Griffith would be a nightmare to reboot. Um, I was rewatching <laughs> some of that recently. And I, I was amazed. Like, there's multiple episodes where the whole is that the sheriff refuses to carry a gun um, because he, he doesn't think he should. He doesn't think he should have to carry a weapon. He thinks that that would escalate situations and make wow. it harder for him to achieve a positive. Like his whole thing is that like, why would I wear a gun? Wear a gun? Then people are going to think that I'm there to potentially harm them. And my whole job is to keep people safe. Anti-violent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you couldn't have that on TV anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. No weapons. Oh, I'm so horny for de-escalation. I want that. I want that reunion. Yeah. We the need it, but I don't think you could get it greenlit. Oh, he can, he can I'm between the three of us. No one else is listening. He can community mm -hmm. police this pussy mm -hmm. anytime when he doesn't carry a gun. Sorry. Man. Sorry. Mm -hmm. We're trying to end light. Um, <laughs> we're trying to, we got to end light. You got to community police the pussy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do like the idea of like, yeah, a cop show that just never escalates. And it's always about someone talking somebody down and talking out of a situation. And then they go just like bowling. Isn't that chill. a show? It wouldn't that just be a show about social workers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or like, or people who work at a McDonald's at three in the morning. Wow. <laughs> like some of the best de-escalation yeah. you're ever going to see. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a de-escalation yeah. expert. Oh, my God. Yeah. Here's your cone, sir. Um, okay, I've got a few. Worst reunions. Um, my parents. Bad. Uh, no. yeah. <laughs> explosive. Um, explosive. A charmed. I don't want to see, like, Rose McGowan and Alyssa Milano just, like, thrashing each other about the Me Too movement. Oh, and, my like, God. Both of them are kind of awful in their own ways. Um, uh, all, let's see. All in the family. Like, I know it was supposed to be cutting edge, but I feel like Archie Bunker is just like a red-pilled QAnon dad at this point. He would be mm -hmm. in Congress today. He would, he would be, be an be incredibly in popular elected. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, exactly. You know, he'd, he'd be moving on. Um, Sex in the City. Stop. Just stop. Yeah. No more. Don't. 
don't do anything without Kim Cattrall. All right. Or, She's or wait till they're old and it can just be like Golden Girls. And if really you old. Golden Girls with the Sex in the City cast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Just like spreading HPV in the uh, in the senior center. They can reboot Sex in the City as long as they just admit they're old. Like, when are they going to just act like adults? Are they in their like mid 40s now? (laughs) Well, that's Kim Cattrall's whole thing. She's like, you know, she's like, I'm proudly 55 or whatever. And I agree with that. Like, I agree with her thing. It's the rest of them. They're pretending. Although Cynthia Nixon, love forevs. Um, (laughs) And finally, the worst reunion for me would be the bush administration just mm. terrible terrible reboot yeah yeah i feel like we've already gotten a reboot in the trump administration so everyone's now like the original was way better and like actually like very kind you know what i think would be really cool is like because the gender swapping is a big thing what if we had like an all-female reboot of the 20th century the ending would have to be totally different you know? Either that or it would be the same and we just have had Lady Hitler, which is... Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ultimate yeah, she... girl boss. Um, ultimate girl boss, Lady Hitler. The final girl <laughs> yeah. boss, one might say. <laughs> Serving Slay the queen. Lukes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Slay queen. That's amazing. I want to this... think it would be different. I want to think having a, a gender-swapped mm-hmm. reboot of the 20th century would necessarily <laughs> entail a different outcome. We First haven't of put... all... Yeah. She wouldn't have killed herself. I can't believe I'm defending Lady Boss Hitler, but I will. <laughs> Lady Boss Hitler. <laughs> she would not have defended or her, killed herself. She would have served her goddamn time and or, you know, been I executed. Because think... she's a hashtag girl boss, Nazi girl I think boss. she would have finished art school. I think she wouldn't have been. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. She would have understood that she's got emotions she has to get out through Mm -hmm. art and it shouldn't be channeled into like, you know, hurting small animals and Mm -hmm. people. Um, I love how we're rewriting. God, we would. Yeah, we're rewriting. Just just defend Lady Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Just defended Lady Hitler. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now, you know who would have definitely been the same if they were gender swapped is Stalin. I think Lady Stalin, exact same story. Oh yeah, ballbuster all the yeah. way. When when mm-hmm. I think who was it? Um, Mussolini was it Mussolini who said, you know, yeah. blood alone moves the wheels of history. Those history, yeah. Maybe, maybe they're talking about periods. So like, yeah, if Mussolini was a lady, it would also be the same. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, all right. Uh, some of the comments here. Guns and Roses. I saw that reunion actually. It, <laughs> it was awkward. Uh, couple years ago Coachella um Cosby show obviously although I feel like the Cosby's without like the dad would be be okay they could do it like like Roseanne and just be like yeah he's in prison because it turned out he was a monster (laughs) the whole time like just make that canonical and then it has to deal with it can you imagine how much the right would freak out about that you know like these are their beloved like they never saw the Cosby show, but suddenly now we're going to defend Bill, of course, because uh, you can't can't reboot it. Can't reboot it in any PC way. It must remain mm-hmm. um, the Charlottesville March. Worst reboot. Bad. It'll Just, happen. It'll yeah. happen, though, unfortunately. I mean, they tried to the next year, but about nine of <laughs> showed up. So that makes that's amazing. I, I that. Yeah. I remember that. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. It just fizzled, right? Or they were 
Nine of them showed yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, like, 5,000 people showed up to counter them, and, like, nine racists showed up. Um, and, yeah, it was a pretty good... I was there. It was a pretty pretty good day, all in all. <laughs> Did I you just party see... then? You have to say, well, they went home, and Yeah, we got we got here. pretty fucking drunk, yeah. Oh! <laughs> the, the, I like the that. The cops just, like, choppered in and, like, helicoptered yeah. the, the nine out, like... <laughs> Like, I, like they were, uh, I mean, they were like walled in by cops who marched them to where they were going and back so people couldn't tear them apart. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. Uh, um, Robert Evans, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, everybody, listen to Behind the Bastards Pod and Behind the Police and follow Robert at IWriteOK okay on Twitter. <laughs> um, Understatement of the century. You're, uh, <sighs> you're so fabulous, Robert. Oh, I think you write. I think he, you write great. <laughs> I write great. Me write great one day. Uh, Robert, take very good Me care. Too. Thanks so much for being here. And Christina, thank you for being here. Where can people find your work? Um, they can find me. My Instagram and Twitter handles are the same. It's at xtina underscore Catherine. Uh, my book is called Aesthetical Relations, and it's out now. From <laughs> you get it. <laughs> Uh, it's out now from Hess Press. You can buy it online. I think for some reason it's really expensive on Amazon. So try looking it up through like a, a local indie, bookstore. indie bookstore or some, or buy it from the publisher. And, um, yeah, that's, Hell I mean, yeah. anything, any, any live shows are coming back. So I post that online. I'm actually going to be in Portland soon oh, doing comedy. Yeah. So, um, keep an eye out for that. Get ready. Um, I'm excited. I hope people are vibrating on uh, very, very high frequencies for Christina. And thank you all for being here. Thank you guys for being patrons. Remember, this show runs literally on your support only. And you can tip the show TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App, or by becoming a patron, which I strongly suggest because you get early access to bonus episodes. Uh, we have merch coming. I've got a, I'm doing some tinkering with that, but it is on the way, uh, as well as a monthly AMA for people who give 20 bucks or more. I, I answer all your questions um, every single month. And cause you know, like you don't get tired of asking and I don't get tired of answering, but maybe you do. And maybe I do, but we don't talk about it because you know, we're having fun. And, um, <laughs> and with that, thank you to everyone um, who works on this show. Uh, Becca Roofer, Ellie Hoffman, Kelly Carey, Dorsey Shaw guys, I'm hosting all of the damage report this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, not Friday. John, I believe, will be back with Brett uh, on the damage report. So make sure to just watch my days and not watch their days. No, I'll be there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And also next Sunday, Mama's taking a, a, a week off. Okay, so taking a break, not doing a show on May 30th. I'm going to do live comedy instead in Santa Cruz. Uh, tickets are sold out, though. Uh, no, but, uh, we're taking a break on next Sunday. So I won't be around next Sunday. We're not going to do a show. Might pick it up on the following week on like a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday situation to make up for the show that we didn't do. But, um, you know, Hey, still, you got plenty of time to go back and listen to the old episodes, give the podcast five stars and all that good stuff. Okay. Thank you guys so, so much. And remember fight the power, fuck the patriarchy and don't just bitch about it. Be about it later.